3: What is that? That's the second time he's gone on. Never got home, they never got home, they never got home those guys. Those,
4: those and I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck.
3: So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever.
2: This is the first Irish Times, second podcast, second captain's podcast of the week. And that's my first mistake in the very first <laughs> sentence. Uh, Who had 1.2 two seconds in? I'm not sure how easy it is, Murph, to get across the power of a photograph in mm-hmm. a podcast. But I'm going to try because I'm transfixed right now and have been for the last couple of hours by this two-page spread in the Irish Times sports section this morning. It captures Rory McIlroy on the 18th green, moments after clinching the British Open. The wrapped gallery in the background, photographers encircling the green, the scoreboard looming above him. Rory himself is in the act of flinging his ball at a decent enough pelt by the looks of it Hmm. into the crowd. Now, I've been trying to identify where exactly the ball is, Murph, and um, can't quite do it. I think it might be out of shot.
5: Mm, It's either out of shot or it's... um an extremely subtle spot the ball competition that uh, the Irish Times Sports Department are running today. I'm not entirely sure. Well, as I
2: said, Murphy has kept me going for two hours. I kept looking, going, is it in the clouds there I or mean somewhere? If, is it up against the backdrop of the sky?
5: If you follow um, McElroy's eye line, it's quite far. It's quite, the ball appears to be quite high. So I'm going to say that the ball just isn't there, Ron. You you just haven't spotted it. That's okay. it, you know, It's not that you haven't spotted it. It's just that it's not there. You're looking for something that isn't there. The answer is are not in that two-page spread. I'm sorry, young.
2: Philip Reid was at Hoy Lake. We're going to talk to him a little bit later on, along with Lawrence Donegan, author of Four Iron in the Soul, one of the best golf books around. Niall Quinn, one of our greatest ever footballers. You won't be surprised to hear that he's a very handy golfer. He's also good at uh, hurling murph. Mm-hmm. Um, table tennis, I believe. I heard once that he's a very good table tennis player. He's just one of those annoying people who's very good at stuff. He'll be on shortly to talk about Rory's achievements in the wider context of Irish sport. I think the magic of watching McIlroy, for me, was summed up on Saturday evening. When he really got the job done, he held that eagle on sixteen. Went up to seventeenth, managed to bogey it. Just to remind you that there is the other Rory mm. still lurking around, and he reminded of you once or twice on Sunday. Then, of course, he sinks it. I remember, I might have tweeted at the time that that put that he had on the 18th for Birdie from around 10 or 12 feet on Saturday. For Eagle, I should say, was going to be the difference between ha- him having a nice stroll in the park on Sunday or him being possible meltdown Rory. Yeah. Uh, luckily, he was somewhere in between. He wasn't totally imperious, but he did get it done. He's just, of the entire weekend, he's just, he's almost a, the perfect sportsman to watch because he's just, he's so amazing, but he's not, and he's very strong mentally now, but there's still reminders that he can crack.
5: There's still the hint of total disaster although to be honest all based on things that happened a couple of years yeah ago. it's receding yeah. fast <laughs> yeah. I mean you know I, I would have said that he is one of the most watchable sports people in the world for that reason because it can go one of two ways very quickly with Rory uh, you know the the more times he closes out major titles then I, I suppose the less likely it is that after 16
2: majors and uh, 17 we we're still going well there's always a chance yeah
5: he's not really that watchable at all anymore yeah. he's just winning these tournaments but um, it's uh, it was uh, it's a huge achievement because it's the one that, you know, maybe people are thinking he wasn't going to win. You know that he could win four or five masters, but maybe the British Open might not be the the one most suited to him. But um,
2: it seems to be have been the closest one to breaking him because when he had that meltdown at the Masters, we all remember how well he reacted. He did all his mm. interviews. He all right. He looked he looked pretty shattered, but he was okay, and he came back very quickly afterwards and won his first uh, his first major only a few months later. Whereas. After the British, the the British Open, when he there's been a couple of British Opens where he's had mm. disasters, but there was the one where he led after the first round, and then had his eighty or whatever it was in the second round, but the one the following year when he said afterwards, look, I'm not going to change my game for this. You know, weather is not great. There's all there were all these things you're thinking wow, he really has reacted badly. He looks really grumpy mm. about that. It looks like it's really gotten him down. And uh, now he's remembered that, well, he's supposed to be a Lynx player. I mean, he's Irish. He's not your traditional Irish Lynx kind yeah. of guy, but... I mean, yeah, but I mean,
5: yeah, but I mean, if you play in the amateur championships and Rory didn't play for long, but I mean, if you're an amateur golfer in Ireland, you're going to be playing on a lot of Lynx golf. So his style of golf may not be suited to it, but it's not like... It's a, it's literally a different planet to him. Yeah. He's th- These are the courses that he grew up playing. So it shouldn't have been that much of a of a trial. And, you know, now you're kind of thinking, right, well, he's won one of them. He'll There's, win a few more. Yeah. There's an, so.
2: another nice photograph I'd like to bring your attention to, Murph, seeing as the first one works so well. Yeah, know, OK. On the podcast. Bernard Brogan tweeted his brother, Alan Brogan, a uh, picture of Bernard's goal yesterday with the message, you've got to be quicker than that, old man. If uh, nice enough. Well, it was just a little joke, I'm sure. No, well, no, Alan it's harsh. It well. I'm, no,
5: I'm going to say it's harsh. Alan Brogan played very well yesterday, Bernard. What's like? Where, where do you
2: get <laughs> off? You're waiting for Alan to tweet back and say, "Well, Bernard, I had a bigger impact overall in the game." Yeah. <laughs> this is sure, massive. Sure, Bernard, in that
5: one instance, but I think if you look at the, the the actual match tape, Bernard, it reminded me of, and probably a lot of people, that I, I don't
2: know, this may have been talked about already, but Robbie Keane slash Noel Hunt's goal against mm. Italy all those years ago, which. No, Hunt, and I think the Hunt family are still somewhat <laughs> aggrieved that was taken off him and credited to one of Robbie Keane's thousand international goals mm. was, uh, was scored on that day. But it's quite a similar one in that one player is ready to pull the trigger and the other one sort of gets a foot in you still of no idea after a few replays who exactly scored. Yeah, basically, you,
5: you know, the, whichever one of them is slightly greedier, you know? <laughs> I mean, if what you're talking about there isn't, you know, the goal putcher's inst- instinct. It was, you know, more the you know, the goal hanger's instinct. You know, the goal is definitely going to get Alan's scored. Alan's
2: more down. the creator. In fact, Alan was happy enough to just run away there at that point. You yeah. He honestly just jogged off. He wasn't even looking to celebrate. He didn't mind one way or the other who was getting the goal. He was yeah. off to create another chance.
5: I Bernard, le- Bernard, the ace poacher. <laughs> I would have left one on Bernard if I was Alan Brogan there. Left one. You know, I mean, if Bernard gets the goal, but Alan goes over the top of the ball oh. to make to make sure that, you know, you, you know you, Bernard gets the message, you know. No one puts Alan in the corner. Mm. Well, maybe that's not such a good idea.
2: Later on, we've got Shane Curran and Ushi McConville. But first up, I'm delighted to say we've got Niall Quinn on the programme after a momentous day in Irish sport yesterday. Now, what impresses you most about McElroy Is it that he's winning all these majors or that these winning them while well, still only 25 years old?
3: Still only 25 and uh, an awful lot going on in his life that would have um, given rise to distract other people less mortal. I think his focus has been incredible, uh, none more so than when it got very close, a few holes from the end, a couple of shots behind, he takes a driver out and puts a 325 yards down the middle and birdies the next hole. Um, it, it's a phenomenal strength, you know. Nine out of ten, even top professional golfers would have been forgiven for buckling at that point. So, uh, you know, an incredible focus through an awful lot that's happened so early in his life. But he is the best. He's, he's fantastic, and I think he's definitely taken the mantle of Tiger Woods now from being the greatest and most exciting golfer in the world today.
2: Can you remember your Niall Quinn's mentality as a 25-year-old Would you've been up there with Rory and mental strength?
3: <laughs> well, I went ahead and got married at 25. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but having said that, um, yeah, I think I, I needed to be kicked a few times. I, I was a little bit, you know, when I got into the Arsenal team, I was a little bit starstruck looking around at all the great players around me and who I was playing against. And I think I needed to be kicked around and... And almost told this isn't going to happen unless you book your ideas up. But but Rory's never had to really do that. He's just been so far ahead uh, in his in his whole thought process about how he approaches the game, uh, his ability naturally. And you know, as I said, some off field stuff, you know, nearly tangled him up. But he he got through it because of his brilliance. And uh, I, I I really respect people like him who can come through the toughest. Mental situations and deal with them so positively and turn them into uh, into spectacular moments, which he did yesterday. It was breathtaking stuff.
2: So you very much focus on the mental side of it with Rory. That's what impressed you most because he's he's had the talent since he was since since he first started popping onto our screens ten years ago.
3: Yeah, you sure? And and listen, kid, you not there's there's a hundred like Rory and a hundred his age who had all that talent, uh, but didn't have the wherewithal to to weave all the pieces together, use the right coaches, get the right system in place, get the right approach to. To, to to becoming a, a top player. You know, he was talented. I can remember when I came back, uh, he was talented and, and he was marked for stardom at a young age. A lot of people are. But I can remember when I came back from uh, England first and uh, Minister who put me on the Irish Sports Council. Rory was part of the uh, Emerging Talent Programme in the GUI of which the Irish taxpayer was funding. And I was on a committee, you know, that were looking at the, the future funding of golf professionals. And it was hoped that he would stay amateur for another year, I think, at the time. Um, but he was the one, and I can, I can remember the whole Irish sports council, you know, who obviously had done a lot of research into how he was going and, and it was an amazing insight because they, they were, they were funding him and had funded him in his amateur career. And he was, you know, he was their great hope. He was, he was the one that was going to make all this Irish sports council stuff worth it. And, uh, Mm. that's why I was doubly delighted to hear down at the Irish open that he was going to, um, wear the, the green jersey of Ireland at the next Olympics.
2: Yeah, and that's another element too. It I think, Niall, that I don't know if you'd agree, but I, I, I kind of get the sense that it is actually a big deal from an Irish point of view that he that he has made that answer. They're all clear on that now. I mean, it's uh-huh. you, 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 you know there's, we can joke about it and all the rest, but I think people might have felt a bit different if he had uh, differently. I should say if he was if we're looking at him as a British player, a Team yeah. GB player, and then he goes and wins the British Open.
3: Sure, and and I think um, I will, I first of all would say I would always respect the, the, the sporting side of a person, and I look at that. I, I don't know Rory McIlroy personally. and I look at what he's done and he's achieved, and that will always be up there for me. Uh, the icing on the cake, I think, for Irish golf fans is this. This is vindication of the Irish golfing system. Uh, this is how you know Ireland looks to the rest of the world when we can produce like him, like McDowell, uh, and let's mention Shane Lowry as well. He was terrific yesterday again. Uh, they, they all come through a system here in Ireland and um, it, its final stop being the Olympics is, is a great credit to everything that we try and do here in sport. We're a small nation, you know, we, we compete, we, we fight about weight in lots and lots of sports. And uh, I think that would have been damaged a little bit and, and the, the wind might have been taken out of our, our, our sails. it. certainly all the, I suppose, the administrative, administrative people who would have helped along the way in Rory's career. To see uh, Britain snatch that and take him off to the Olympics would have been hard to take, but no fair play to him. He, he's done what I think is—it's a, a non-political decision. It's a sporting decision, I believe, yeah. that can be traced back to to his early assistance as a young player.
2: Is it all down—not um, Rory's decision now, but our recent upsurge in golf, in world golf—is it all down to the organisation that you talk about? There is there anything? I, I don't know. Are Irish people genetically predisposed to being good at golf?
3: I don't know if we're genetically predisposed, but one thing I know is the competitiveness. You know, if I go away to Portugal the odd time and I meet these other people in football and sport and in the, the acting circles and they all say they play off eight or ten, you know, I'd beat them in my sleep. <laughs> uh, I <think> that,
1: uh,
3: <laughs> our handicap system is tougher. I think we're we we, we um, we're more competitive, you know, per head, I think, uh, as, a, as a sporting nation. I mean, as I know as there are 80 million people in the UK. I'd say we have better golfers than they have in, in, in our amount of uh, players playing it. But what I love about it is the effort that's been made in golf clubs in general to, you know, bring on and drive the youth. They understand that the youth are the future of all golf clubs. And especially as the Celtic Tiger boom collapsed and suddenly, you know, the the pro shops weren't stacking golf clubs every time someone take a bad shot, they were buying new golf clubs 10 years ago. There's a little bit of change there. And and the the one thing that stayed strong, which I'm delighted, and I, I have sort of first-hand notice of it. the uh, the efforts being put in by people who've been through it all to bring young golfers on uh, it's a different thing it's not you know rugby it's not soccer it's not the the, the great GAA uh, this is a, a, a it's a different sport it's you know it's a very lonely sport for in some respects the amount of hours that these young players are putting in around the country but you know the, the successes are there you see young Jack Hume from NACE there a club near me who, who won the East of Ireland and there's to go on to great things. These guys are playing off plus four and plus five and they're practising and training in golf clubs all around the country. I, I actually got picked for my golf club, the Heritage, to play in the senior cup and um I don't know what I was doing down there. I think I was a late draft. I saw all these young kids who were fearless, frightening, coming on having six, seven birdies and beating people on the twelfth hole. And they're only about 16, 17 years of age, you know, and, and I just I, I you know, even before Rory's win yesterday, I you know, I kind of applaud what's happening in Irish golf. And, uh, you know, as I said, the icing on the cake then is that Rory will go and represent that in the Olympic Games.
2: Yeah, well, you said earlier, now that you feel that talent-wise, there could be hundreds like Rory at that sort of an age. It's just, uh, which is interesting, because I, most readings of McElroy's progress would have always be pinned him as freakishly talented from a young age. But you feel that if other guys apply themselves, and girls apply themselves as diligently as Rory McElroy they could have success?
3: Well, that's right. Yeah, you go back to a few years ago, when the Maguire twins came along, and and you know, at fourteen years of age, they were being talked about all over the world. Uh, it's been more difficult for them to make the breakthrough, but there's there's certainly a conveyor belt there, and it's probably great that Rory is doing what he's doing. That Park Harrington did what he did. You see, whatever way you look at it, whether you talk about great hurling players from fifty years ago or sixty years ago, or Dublin footballers from the seventies. Really, as young people, when you get the chance to play, you you know, yes, you love the game, but what you're really trying to do is you're trying to emulate and better those who went before you. And I think that tradition, you know, is is, is the GAA is full of that. Uh, All sports, I believe, uh, you know, contains a bit of that. But in Ireland, especially, you know, I, I would imagine there's there's hundreds, you know, of really talented young golfers this morning chipping golf balls in their practice ground at golf clubs all around the country, inspired by what Rory has done. And somewhere along the way, you would hope that someone will emerge and, and, and come through that that system that we have uh, to, to carry on the, the great work. I mean, it's fantastic. If you look right back, go back to, I mean, obviously I wasn't around when Christy Senior was, was the main man, and then Christy Junior, Eamon Darcy, then went right through Des Smith, uh, Philip Walton. But, you know, there's a, been a conveyor belt here. Uh, and the open course coming up to, uh, to the north is, is, is a big tonic for the game here as well. But uh, you know, it, it, it never it's never held. It's a bit like when everyone started wanting to be people like Robbie Keane wanted to be footballers after the '90 World Cup. You know, we all wanted to be cyclists after Stephen Roach won many years ago. And and I think today you'll find an awful lot of people. Picking up golf clubs and shops around the country and, and deciding to have a crack at this thing.
2: Yeah, now while we have you here, just a quick question. Dublin tip is on next weekend. I'm sure that's a tasty one for you in the hurling. What yeah. do you think's going to happen
3: there? I, well, I'm, I'm going to travel down to it. Yeah, I was at my dad yesterday. We were a typical country farmhouse. We were crossing between the, the, the golf and uh, the football and clones in Croke Park, first of all. But Dublin were so good in the football, it, it was, it was uh, unbelievable. Uh, the golf took over, but it was the, all the talk. I'm afraid was about the Dublin Tip match next week. Um, they're building themselves up. Tipperary thought they were they, they were hopeless. Um, the fans had given up on them six weeks ago, and now typical Tipperary, they have them winning the All Ireland. Uh, but they have a very difficult challenge to get over. And um, listen, I my family are all from Tipperary. My sisters are all living down there. My mum and dad live there. I've it's Granchan. I haven't Granchan. I've have nephews, grand nieces, cousins, you name it. But I wore the blue of Dublin, so uh, I'd be hoping, you know, that um, Dublin can get themselves back on track and beat Tipperary.
2: Well, I'm happy enough as a dub with that one, well, Niall. Listen, great to talk to you. Thank you.
3: You too. Thanks, on Bye.
2: I do understand exactly what Niall means about how competitive Irish people can be. He noticed it while going on golfing holidays to Portugal. Mm. I noticed that. I don't know, Murph, where you grew up, if there are many Spanish students around.
5: No, <laughs> right. Well, there were a lot around. Riding up, we we
2: kept no, some. I'm we we, we, yeah. we kept some as <laughs> other so, so pets. Mm. Uh, we, there were some lodgings. Some Spanish lodging with us, and uh, there were always just people. You're playing football around the green in the summertime. Suddenly, all these largely Spanish, for whatever reason, certain amount of Italian, French mm. arrive along there, and of course, you speak the universal language of football, Murph. Yeah, and you offer them a game, and they all look really keen. They're all playing their tiki taka even before that phrase existed. And then these, like, 14-year-old Irish lads are all throwing slide tackles in <laughs> and crunching bones. <laughs> and yeah, even me, Murph, not being one of the harder footballers of all time, was, compared to these guys, I was a colossus. <laughs> and they'd go off practically crying, thinking, who are these animals? <laughs> this is the advantage that Irish people should have in sport, but yeah. uh, alas, it doesn't really seem to work in football anymore. It's just transferred onto the golf course now.
5: Yeah. I mean, okay, I mean, that, 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 that's probably fair enough. I mean, do, did you not have any misgivings about your behaviour, though? I mean, they come over here in a spirit of amity, in a spirit of friendship, uh, and you go around bullying them on a on a uh, park field. I mean, it's a, a, a
2: perfectly uh, legitimate competitive game, and we were perfectly friendly to them in my household. Murph. I mean, they were fed, they were watered, they broke a couple of windows in the house, and my mum
5: didn't go too crazy. So <laughs> <it was laughs> they broke one. a few windows. Football was that football related, or yeah it's not great maybe no, they were
2: frustrated it. from the kicks they were getting down the green they came back and just started smashing the windows of the houses that <laughs> it's not, them it's not that very point.
5: mature anyway I've oh,
2: got to talk about more serious stuff Shane Kernan, and O'Shea McConville have landed in studio Jen, thanks for popping in
1: Morning Owen Good morning Owen Good morning Murph Good morning Simon behind me
2: <laughs> I hope you're enjoying the, the fine weather and the, well, it's, it's a slow burn of a championship I guess O'Shea so but I was interested in Jim McGuinness's comments yesterday he said after the match that the win against Monan was the most satisfying victory he's had as Donegal manager
6: yeah and I've f- heard a few Donegal people say that it was the most significant win since they're all Ireland because um they put a lot into this year. But I knew that sort of they were sitting back waiting on this game specifically to sort of see where they were at because Monaghan are a good test. I think Monaghan weren't at the pick of their powers yesterday, but um Donegal as I said to you, they mixed it up big time as far as the defensive football they played. I was seeing a shame that the first ball and I said, I think I said this here as well, but the first ball that uh Donegal went forward, kicked the ball in the corner, Mullen turned him over, Michael Murphy didn't look near what was going on the play. He uh, ran at three quarter pace back to the forty five, and he turned on the seal, and he started to face the play, mm. and they had a lane across, across, and as I say, it was the most defensive football that I ever, I've ever watched, uh, the most defensive form of Gaelic football I've ever watched, even more than the
2: uh semi final <laughs> in twenty eleven. It,
6: it was, it w- was, it There was one team that game played. Yeah, it you know. was because Monaghan matched up exactly the same way as them. I think Monaghan decided, listen. If they're going to drop players back, then we're going to keep our players back. We're not going to push anybody up. We're not going to take any chances. Hindsight is a great thing, uh, especially in sport. And I think if if Malachi Rock had his had that game all over again for the first thirty five minutes, he would have had a real cut at Donegal because they were there for the taking because of the way they were they were um, they were lined up. And the more I think about it, the more I think that a better team, a Dublin, a Mayo, a Kerry, would would have opened Donegal up fairly handily yesterday in the first half because even though it was it was defensive at times Monaghan were able to when they run the ball were able to get through when they kicked the ball I couldn't believe that they kicked the ball some of the more experienced players uh, kicked the ball into the McManus he was absolutely surrounded every single time I think on the Sunday game last night they picked out one situation that situation happened time and time again and uh, as I say it was the most defensive game football because as much says, both teams were playing like that, and both teams were very prepared to stick it out.
2: So Monaghan should have run at the more to get, uh, at its most. They
6: should, yeah, they should have they should have run it, they should have tried to hold on to the ball, be more patient. Out of the two teams, the reason why uh, Donegal went in 6 4 up at half time, which was significant, was the fact that um, they were more patient than Monaghan. They were willing to hold on to the ball, they were willing to be lateral, they were willing to wait and wait and wait on that run. And it was like a game of patience or, or a game of uh what do you call that game of no Battleship, is that the one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know the rules of battleship but it seemed like that at the time. It seemed like a strategic sort yeah, of yeah, chess or something like that. But um the thing about the thing about, about Donegal is they're used to playing like that. They're prob- they're trained like that. You know they've perfected this system over the years. This was more defensive, and we we all accept defensive football now. But you expect that whenever Donegal would break, they would break a pace and break with three, four, five players. They didn't do that in the first half. They did it in the second half, uh, time after time after time, and they they turned Monaghan over time after time after time. And when you consider all the things and how bad Monaghan were, they were still in that game with with uh, seven or eight minutes to go. Shane.
2: Donegal there for the taking in the first half says rushingine I, I
1: don't no, I don't think so because uh, but, no Johnny set themselves up in such a way I think Russian is right um their template for for winning and that game yesterday was highly significant but we have to remember it's their 14th win out of 15 in Ulster and they know how to win games and they know how to win the important games and I think Oshin has alluded to it there um, this is a very important season for Donegal I think it's probably going to be their last season under McGuinness and uh, you could see the way he celebrated with his players and in particular Paddy McBreathey who he left off earlier on for Donegal Carno, which I thought was a very, very funny uh, um, mistake in some ways but maybe he was playing psychological games with McBreathey to get the best out of him Um they're the only team left in the Championship, in my opinion, that um, can tactically put it up to the likes of Dublin. Um, I think they're the only team that can frustrate them. And yesterday, I suppose, a lot of their game was aided and abetted by a lot of very poor, indecisive uh, refereeing decisions by Morris Deegan, where one particular was with Mark McHugh on the sideline, I think it ended up costing three minutes on the board. Another one shortly after, with Christy Toy those three minutes waste. Just there. taking too long getting just to the bottom taking too things, long right? getting to the bottom. But there was a conflab with with three, with two umpires, two lines man to sort something out. That could have been done in twenty seconds, and that's so Johnny And I think it it, it probably inflicted on Mullins t- if Mullins were to play that uh, kind of expensive game. It's very difficult to do that when you've got breaks in play the whole time and it just gets frustrating and uh, Paul Finley, I think was the only Monaghan player to scored along with Rory Beagan in the first half and um, both those were from freezing and he took one long range 50 one long range point from, from the 50 yard line I think that's the only way you can really beat that kind of 13 man defence as, as Oisin said when the ball went into Conor McManus he was surrounded left, right and centre I mean it was like, like a gun gunshot okay corral the amount of people that was around him when he, and got one thing they do is they break very intelligently from defence to attack um, I don't think if you look back to 2011 McGuinness made a mistake probably in playing um, Michael Murphy and McFadden in very withdrawn roles against Dublin that day and it cost them on the scoreboard it did plenty of possession to win that game uh, if memory serves me right but they went very very negative negative. Um, and I think yesterday they probably were over negative but they realised the significance of winning that game they're most likely in now to an All Ireland semi-final and uh, against Dublin, and um, they play either I think Armagh, Kildare, or Meath, and I know Seán has something to say about that, but I think they're going to be difficult. They're going to be difficult opposition, and the only ones that I believe can tactically set up to beat Dublin.
5: The, we were just uh, referenced the celebration there, and the first guy that began to surrender was Ryan McHugh, which I thought was pretty interesting as well. That's a really strange dynamic there. And it obviously has taken a degree of handling when you consider the fact that his brother, like Mark McHugh is watching it in New York or wherever he's watching it, um, off the panel. And yet McGuinness has had the ability to install Ryan as an almost direct replacement for his brother and to actually cultivate a relationship with the younger brother, which is which is pretty, uh, pretty skillful by him.
6: The more I hear about it and the more I talk to Martin and, and Donegal people in general, the more I, I believe that that's just a genuine decision from Martin Mark McHugh, that he felt as if he, he wasn't really given as much as he should have, um, that he didn't maybe have as much to offer, that he needed a bit of a break and... That that seems to be doesn't seem to be much behind the scene. Much, we much always as we'd love it, something. Yeah. much as much as we'd love a what falling a out. To him. What happened? <laughs> much as we'd love a falling out. Uh, but Ray McHugh's come in and he's filled that role. And if I could say, possibly a better player than Mark, in that he has a lot more pace, uh, a bit more gale about him. He's trickier um, and probably as intelligent a footballer as Mark is. And I think that's the biggest compliment I could give him was that. Yesterday he was he was he's just turned twenty and every single time he got the ball he did the right thing with it even if it was a a lateral pass or or a pass backwards you know to keep possession you know, he didn't try and force it he looks very comfortable in that role he looks very comfortable in the fact that he's a intercounty footballer now and I'll be honest with you as well you know uh, Shane mentioned Patrick McBrady coming off the bench he was exceptional when he came off the bench. But it was McHugh that picked him out three times for his his score. Yeah, and I was
2: interested that McGuinness afterwards... Name check McHugh and McNeilish. He clearly mm. went mm. after
6: the younger guys
2: there, and I'm sure if you're Michael Murphy, you don't you're happy enough not to take any praise there. You let the younger guys get a chance. That this is the man management that people talk about.
1: Well, he, he has infused the, the Donegal team with with that younger blend of McHugh, McNeilish, and Derek O'Connor. It didn't go well for him yesterday, but they are three young players that have you know that have been earmarked to come into the side. And as, as O'Sheen said, they they really did play very very well yesterday. I was very impressed with McNeilish as well. I thought he's, he's a right good. Footballer, good football brain, and O'Connor has it as well. He's 18 years of age. It was a big, big decision to give him his start there yesterday. I, I, I go back to it. I suppose um, I remember talking to, him, to Mcnulty one time, O'Sheen and, and thinking, and you know, he said maybe you know our man won one or Ireland could have maybe won two or three, but they left maybe some of it on the training ground. And I would think that Johnny Gall, that sort of outfit, that their preparations are so intense um, that there is the possibility. That they could be overworked when it comes down to the to the to the nitty gritty of, of championship semi finals and championship finals. We'll have to wait to see how that plays out. But I think certainly by by infusing the team with these three young guys, um, he's given himself an opportunity to maybe to to, to paper over that particular possible crack.
2: And McBrady is still quite a young player. You mentioned him yeah. there, Ocean. You've been waiting for him for a while, and this was one where he he delivered is he a kick up the arse type of player is that what he needs
6: uh, I don't know I don't really know I, I, I spoke to him uh, just around Sigerson time and he was he was a player under a lot of pressure because he was travelling up and down to Maynooth and all those things and he had exams and it, 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 there was a lot of excuses for him you know so far through the year but I expected him to have a massive year and maybe that's the kick start that he needed he needs a little bit of confidence I felt before the game yesterday it was wrong to drop him Um because I thought, you know, a confidence player like that, a corner forward, the last thing he needs to do is be dropped. He needs to be told, listen, listen, you're a, you're a massive part of this team. But McGuinness played it right again. You know, he, he uh, you know, he, he I suppose, he, one of the things he said after the game was that Derek O'Connor was starting in place of, of Patrick McBrady. And Patrick McBrady, all through the warm-up, was the player who was over with Derek O'Connor telling him to you know to settle down and to make sure you get into the game early and all those sort of things. If that's you know, well, I, I presume that's true, but uh, that's a great sign for a squad that doesn't go on in all squads. You know, yeah. I, I know if somebody took my place, I'd be, I'd be it'd be very very <laughs> difficult in all to go over and you know you might clap them on the back or something and hope that things didn't really go his way in the back of your mind. You know, so you get it, get an opportunity, get an opportunity, but. Uh, Another player that deserves mention is Michael Muffy because he completely sacrifices himself and sacrifices his game and whatever job he's given, he does it to the letter of the law and he had a job yesterday and spent a lot of time you know, watching him and hoping that he was going to end up on the edge of the square at some stage during the game. But uh, he, di- he didn't. He started, He was, he, as I say, the Minnesota, uh at the start of the second half. But he completely sacrifices himself for the game. And that must be, for any young lad coming in and watching him uh, playing with Donegal and the fact that he is such a talented footballer. He is the go-to man, if you want to call it that but also that he's able to sacrifice himself and say, listen, whatever role you give me, Jim, I'm going to fulfil it.
2: Murphy, it, uh, it was dour at times mm.
5: yesterday, but you did find some beauty in Clonus. Well, see, people say, you know, you, they think Ulster football, they, they think that game yesterday is, you know, basically a perfect distillation of it in some ways. What I, I actually agree with them, but for totally different reasons, because there were a couple of examples yesterday of what I like to term Clonus points, which are basically balls belted 80 yards up into the air this is this isn't a figment of my imagination, right? <laughs> Ulster footballers kick the ball like twenty yards higher over the bar than any other type of footballer. Like I, I remember going to training and actually calling them Clonus points. When you boot them eighty yards <laughs> up in the air, I I don't know if McNeidish, it's. McNeish, I think
2: McNeish had a couple of them yesterday. In the, t-
5: in the tenth minute. In fact, yeah. Colin
2: McFadden was was the victim of it because he kicked one so right. high that yeah. it went over and they called it wide.
5: Yeah, I know. Yeah, so that's basically it. I mean, I, you would think that he would have learnt his lesson, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, is 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 it something that you train for specifically in Ulster
6: football, or oh, it's the altitude. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't taken that in <laughs>
5: ball flies you know 10, 15 years. it's like the high veld in South Africa
2: Shane we were talking to Micheal Quirk about the, the Dublin performance yesterday he reckoned that they didn't get out of third gear now I don't know I don't know what fourth and fifth year looks like what did you think?
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah I, I, look at, I'm of the opinion that I think we're, f- we're witnessing truly I think the first totally professional G football team um, and Okay, we can say that most none of the Dublin lads are on the contracts of a Messi or anything like that. But they have everything else, uh, from the level of professional knowledge and attention and detail uh, surrounding them. And good luck to them. I've no, no, um, I, I don't begrudge them that one bit. I think it's great to see they play a fantastic brand of football. Um, you know, meet last year ran them to seven points the year before, three points, and last yesterday could have been seventy points. Um, they were so. So far ahead of, of me that it was it wasn't funny, um. I think there's wider issues. I, I I feel that um Dublin are a runaway train and um there's nobody catching them. You know there's not even a boat coming behind them at the moment. You know to, to, to rattle them and uh, they just have player good players all over the field. Kevin McMillan came in yesterday, scored one five, ends up on man of the match. Some days he doesn't he's not on the pitch. You know there's so many other examples of that. Bernard and Alan barogan Road outstanding I thought yesterday as well, but they're just a they're, they're a well well oiled machine and um, I, I just can't see any team really i say Indra may have put it up to them but uh, it's just a me I I, I I can't see anyone Do we not have to wait for
2: another all or two to be in the bag there for Dublin to be considered in that way?
1: I don't think so because if you look at it what's 12, 13, 14 Leinster titles in the last 16, 17 years. Their club teams are dominating Leinster club football. Um, there's a level of migration into the city as well and there's a level of, of um, opportunities coming to players in Dublin that aren't coming down the country. Uh, you see Elman Murrigan from uh, Leitrim playing his club football in St. Should St. that affect him,
6: though,
1: in some way? I, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, when you've got a numbers game like that, O'Sheen I mean, look at the quality they're able to uh, able to produce, and you know their coaching structures. They got over sixty coaches in in Dublin now, uh, almost full time. Um, the whole knowledge centre as well. You know, they tap into DCU, they can tap into Trinity, they can tap into Brian Mullins down down in uh, in, in um, UCD, UCD yeah. and and look at. I say fair play to them. I think it's great, but. I don't think those opportunities are afforded to other counties in the same way that they're afforded to Dublin, by virtue of the fact that they have had huge investment over the last 10 to 15 years. And in fairness, you know, if you look back at the years they were in the doldrums, they recognised that they had problems, you know, um, like the Kevin Kevin Heffernans and people like that, God rest them. They said about putting... uh, structures in place that were going to develop Dublin football back probably in the mid to late nineties and they're reaping the benefits of that now. And look at I, I, I just say I, I think down the track there's a big there's a big problem coming because yesterday you had 63,000 people in Crow Park. Um you're not going to get people paying in to see that uh, year on year. Um You'll probably get Dublin
2: fans going Well
1: I don't it. even know, will you? Because I, I think the joy will go out of it and I think maybe that what needs to be done is have a look at taking Dublin out of Crow Park uh, down maybe into a provincial ground into Tullamore or Hyde Park or Port Leash or wherever it may be uh, and see can you can we generate something that way but look at, I just think they're a very very good
6: football can team Can we get them beat See can <laughs> we get them beaten? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. funny, I mean, the,
2: the, the, that debate pops up time and again I think most Dublin supporters wouldn't mind that at all. No, People no, wouldn't mind a trip Trump. you know but no. it's it just it, for all the obvious reasons it, it hasn't happened they're wedded to Croke Park even when it's only going to be about 30,000 it seems mm. as though that, that's enough to justify being in Croke Park what do you think about the oh, yeah. vista that's painted there by Shane Dublin's yeah, dominance uh,
6: there's, there's a lot in what Shane is saying the only thing I, I feel is if you know it still comes down to those 15, 20 players on the football field you know um, as far as Dublin Inter-County senior team is concerned at the minute and those are 15, 20, 21 very, well actually in Dublin's case probably 30 very very talented footballers but I still think that there's a lot of football to be played in this year's Championship. Uh, Donegal would cause them problems. Don't know if they beat them. Mayo, I think. As we said before, yeah. this is their year.
5: Yeah, but I, I think, you know,
6: obviously Dublin looked very, very good.
5: And they looked, like, yesterday was about as good as they've ever looked, really. I mean, I think yesterday was uh, spectacular in its way. But I do, I do think, right, that if you look at the teams that they've played, right, Meath were so bad it wasn't even true yesterday. Wexford... And Leash, like, Leash beat Wexford uh, in the qualifiers and then were beaten out the gate by Tipperary. Yeah. So, you know, now, Dublin have been brilliant. There's no argument about that. No. But ha- have they played a team even close to the top eight so far yet? I would say no. I and, I would, and I think that if, the, if, they, if they play Monaghan, it's, you know, Dublin could still win that game by seven or eight points. But what I would say is, Monaghan are going to ask them a couple of questions. Yeah. And I don't think that's happened at all yet.
6: Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. And I think that they they haven't come up a team that physically can match them. People talk about me. Uh, you know, we're going to physically pull it up to them. It's not the me. Yeah. It's not they the me team of the eighties. You know, you watch, you look, you take pound for pound those those mead footballers yesterday. They weren't going to win it on physicality. Whatever chance they had, you know, to uh, close down Cluxon's kickouts. Whatever chance they had to uh, get the ball in the brain, get people off his shoulder. Whatever chance they had to do that, they weren't going to win it in the physical stakes. They weren't. They're not. Uh, you know, uh, a Donegal or a Mayo you know, they're not going to win it in those physical circles. And even Monaghan. Monaghan are a fairly physical team as well. And I think, you know, that's the thing they need to come up against. But uh, the more we talk about it, the more you think that you know, they have the wherewithal. They have just and an absolute embarrassment of riches but yeah, well, I still think there's a team out there and the quarter-final stage has been the death knell for a lot of fans and that's who they the play
2: years. they'll be playing Monaghan, Kildare or Armagh it's one of the teams from round they can't four B, play, but they, yeah. they can't play Meath. if you play Armagh so it's going to be one, one of those three teams any of those three uh, ready to
1: puncture your the pick of the theory? mud the pick of the mud and <clears throat> And that's the reality. I, 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 the pick of them wouldn't beat them. And, Is there a
2: danger, Shane? That and I know you're, you've and you've talked to us before, and you've put constructive ideas forward as to how football can be improved elsewhere in the country. Is there a danger that the people could have could take what you're saying today as a defeat as kind of an attitude? And and you know, I'm thinking. Maybe the other counties have to find ways to match up to Dublin, even though they're not going to have quite the same resources.
1: Yeah, I, I look at. I'm a very positive fella, and and um, you know, I like to. I like to think that uh, you know, you can see the woods from the trees, but unfortunately, in this case, there's just one big ash tree and there's an awful lot of flowers around it. Um, you know, I, I just, I I, 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 and and pardon me for thinking, you know, I, it's not my form. I, I just, I, I, just think that Dublin have brought football onto another level, and I mean a seismic level, as uh, similar to what Armagh done in in two thousand and two. They've completely changed the face of it. And ushin is is saying about the physical stakes and that. Dublin are like Lee Beans now at a the football. They can move it so fast from left right. to right to forward. They're athletic. They're bouncing around the place. You can't lay a glove on them. They're so good with the ball in hand and they use the ball very intelligently. And I think that's a problem for most of the physical teams that are left, maybe Oisin, I Outside the game, and I keep saying outside, and maybe Johnny during the goal, But goal. Um,
6: One more thing, I think, is they're not paralysed with tactics. No, they're they not. Are, Correct. They are, it's a very good they point. Are, they are pretty much told to go out and express themselves and play football. Yeah, they have, you know, they're, they're, they can keep it quite tight at the back. They still, like most says, haven't been asked any questions. But, like, when you're not paralysed with taxes and you're going out to play football, it must be a joy to go out and play in that Dublin forward line. Yeah. Whereas, yesterday, I watched Conor McManus and Colin McFadden, who come off the field, the two most frustrated players. I mean, it's very, very difficult for a corner forward to play Gaelic football at the moment. It's a, in fact, it, at some times, it can be a nightmare. The argument for me from the, from here on is is what Eamon Fitzmaurice did with Gooch a couple of years ago, um, or last year, take him out to centre-half forward and let him express himself there. Your best footballers... Like Conor McManus was one of the... Uh, best two to three footballers on the field yesterday and he touched the ball really maybe twice three times and uh, you know I think the argument is in that situation bring him out into the half hour lane and let him have some sort of effect on the game.
2: Yeah uh, the biting allegation made by Mick O'Dowd yesterday guys as we speak there's been no response from the Dublin County Board on this there didn't seem to be any conclusive evidence TV wise certainly on the Sunday game last night they did show the, the grappling going on and Ono Garra probably taking a few punches from other players, then there's some grappling on the ground with um, with Mickey Burke, after which Mickey Burke, you can see him claiming to the referee that, that he's had his finger bitten. Um, now Mick Dowd is in a position here where he went back to the journalists, he made this public so I guess Meath are, are going to pursue this if you're involved with the Dublin management of the Dublin County Board, how do you handle this Shane? It's
1: a problem they don't want and um, it's, it's, it's sad that that a problem and allegation like this is comes in. It has to come into the public domain. I think, from a reportage point of view, anyway, because there's an onus on the doctors and there's an onus on insurance um, uh, laws, and that that they they do report it. So that's very very unfortunate. It's not the first time these allegations have been laid against Dublin players. Um, it's regretful. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But also, I think we have to balance it with the point that, in light of the fact that there's no hard evidence, um, it's very unfair. To um, pigeonhole blame to a particular player uh, or players involved in such a, such an altercation. Um, it's difficult. If Jim Gavin won't want this, no doubt about that. i just coming up the street there, Fleet Street, and seeing the papers. It's Dubs in another bike gate. And that creates its own internal pressures and its own internal tensions. But I think Gavin is, is a very, very uh, methodical manager. Uh, very astute. Uh, I don't think you'll see any any comment coming from the Dublin team until such time as they have their ducks in a row. And
2: is that the best thing, when you say ducks in a row, is the best thing to do here, O'Shane, to for Dublin to get to the bottom of it themselves so that they can either be 100% sure that they're okay, that nothing happened, or that they actually come to the conclusion, well, hang on, we're, we're, we have an issue here and we'll get it out there, we'll deal with it and therefore maybe... I don't know if that's how it necessarily works, but is it important that Dublin actually investigate it fully themselves?
6: Yeah, and I think that's what they'll do. I think they'll go to the go to the player concerned and they'll ask him, "Did you bite?" It'll be as simple as that one. Did you bite him? And if he says no, well then Dublin will back the player to the absolute hilt and you uh, can be guaranteed of that. the The thing about this incident as well is that meat have brought it to light. So, if this incident is investigated, which I'm quite sure it will be, there could be a few Meath players in a bit of bother as well because there was punches thrown and we've created a precedent um, this year with the Armagh Calvin thing and so we probably need to go and, and investigate it and if that is the case while well, the player in question from Dublin, uh, unless you know there is no hard evidence um, there only Mickey uh, Bork's Ward against his and if that's the case well then it's going to be very very difficult to spend a player on those terms and I think the other thing is that um, Dublin will back their player 100% if he says he didn't do it then they'll back him to the health
2: Meath player man next and it's an Armagh team that suddenly looks a little bit mean and nasty Oshin. I mean that in the best sense mm. of the word they... Don't worry, he'll, he'll take it that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was face it up there Actually, yeah. yeah, the two nicest things you've ever said to me <laughs> They seem to buddy Roscommon a little bit over the weekend. Are they ready from to take on a, uh, as you say, a Meade team that's not exactly physically beastly?
6: No, they're not beastly. And the other thing about them is that they're after taking a 19 point drubbing, so know, yeah, that wouldn't be the best for confidence. I don't think you know the Meade, uh training session Tuesday night will be a, a, a great place to be. But I think the thing about Armagh is, is the progression. Uh, and when you're looking like a, at a team like Armagh, who you're hoping are gonna you know, keep progressing. One of the things is we we uh, we were very poor during the league. We didn't play any Pacific system, probably because we were missing so many players and it was so that uh, the the team was so inconsistent. Uh, we introduced this defensive system. It worked against Calvin in, a, in in respect that we didn't give away a lot of scores. It worked against Monaghan the first day and that we didn't give away a lot of scores, but it didn't seem to be evolving. Mm. And Saturday was the first day that I seen it evolve in that we scored one fourteen from play, ten different scorers, and uh, we looked dangerous at times going forward. Now I have to say, and Shane's here, you can back me up or disagree with me. I just felt I felt Roscommon were very very poor on the on the day. I felt Roscommon very. I was expecting a lot more from Roscommon. I was expecting them to be. even more organised, if you like, than Amawa. Um But certainly the positives for Armawa is that the system has evolved, and now we look a bit more dangerous going forward. We seem to be getting a few more players uh, into the attack, and we're starting to take the right options. We're learning a lot about about this new style of football. Because remember last year when we played in the championship, we played, we played. Fifteen against fifteen. We played orthodox football. We played sort of naive football at times. We've introduced a, a few players, and in, in particular, probably Aaron Finn in the middle of the field is a player that we needed to get a big physical midfielder and get a spoil in there for him. And he's done really, really well. And you know, uh, talking to the to the cross lads, they speak very highly of him. So uh, along with him, uh, Tony Cairn and Jamie Keon McKeever's done really, really well. Uh, Charlie Vernon's done really really well at, at full back so uh, there's a lot of positives there I mean there's no, it's, it's, it would be madness to get carried away with it but we're in the last 12 <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs>
2: <laughs> it just briefly on Common, Shane poor
6: Ocean is 110%
1: yeah. right They were pathetic um, and again the same mistakes have been repeated game on game on game with players taking ball into the tackle losing ball and turnover Solom with their head down short passing lateral across the field um, I wasn't that excited about the fact that we bet Cavan because Cavan were decrepit and they were sure short, short enough six players, three of whom were All-Star uh, nominations last year. So you have to put a lot of that into context and into balance and um, Roskama need to, need to find a way going forward tactically and also physically that will help them to, to, to uh, progress. But just finally finish on RMA, Um McGeaney definitely has put a structure on them, there's no doubt about that. One thing they can do is they can mix it physically, but they're a fantastic football inside, And they're a footballing team that know how to kick the ball and pass the ball. McKeever was brilliant. Aaron Curran, when he came in, never gave the ball away. And that cross-triumph for it there of Clark. Carriger was outstanding, I thought, Jamie. And uh, absolute Darren Finn in the middle of the field gives them something something absolutely different. But uh, they don't give away the ball and... um, I can see them beating Mead, I think, comprehensively the weekend with, with Mead psychologically on a downward path. That's
2: great stuff. Uh, we're talking a lot about Rory McIlroy today, Shane. You're pleased for Rory? I
1: mean, victory. it was un- unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're watching it out in East studios yesterday and uh, Garcia came back to two on him and, you know, you're worried at that stage, you know, but it's absolutely brilliant for Irish golf, and uh, Shane Lowry uh, finishing inside the top ten, I think, for the first time ever in a major it was an outstanding performance as well. So, uh, McIlroy, Chris, sorry, and G yeah. and G so it's brilliant for for Irish golf uh, as a you know so brilliant, yeah, and brilliant, brilliant stuff.
2: I see Shane Lowry. Um, he's also declared for Ireland, by the way. Shane, <laughs> Shane
1: <Lowry. laughs> but walking we'll into the politics <laughs> we'll of we'll it say, now, so I was afraid to say that.
2: <laughs> I, I see Lowry was Lowry was referred to by the BBC on Thursday as oh, the, com- don't, don't, don't. the yeah the commentator said the affable and then you could see he stopped and he thought where do I know in <laughs> Ireland <laughs> D- Dubliner uh, Shane Lowry so we'll, we'll take that that's great stuff Shane Oshin thank you
6: I knew the place Clough as he called me a rabbit didn't
1: know
4: he said to me what can you do
1: that the boss hasn't done.
4: you were the boss and I said I want to win the league but I want to win it better
1: there's no way to win it better. Why because not? Lo- no, 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 no. But that's the only we don't, hope we don't, I've we're got. We're doing a lot of four matches. Well, no, I can only move three. You can understand that,
6: can't you? Yes. Good luck. Buff, as he calls me, Robbie.
4: Good luck. Now, that, may, that might be you know, aiming for utopia, and it might, be, might mean being a little bit stupid, but that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that...
2: I want to be like me. Yeah, the latest, uh, as we talk to you, is the GA are just waiting for the um, for the report from the referee to come. In regards, just going back to the biting incident or the biting allegation, I was quite taken by the Sunday game panel. They had Owen Mulligan, Tomas Shea on it. And uh, why am I forgetting? Dermot Early. It was Dermot Early there as well. Yeah, and the three of them made the same point. They both very much weighed in on behalf of Owen O'Gara, said that he did very well, which I think he did do, not to react to some of the punches he was taking uh, in in the sense that he didn't seem to throw any back there. But that was one element of it. But they also said, look, what are you? the three of them pretty much said, what are you going to do if somebody sticks a finger in your mouth? Uh, As Owen Mulligan said, are you going to just blow it out? In other words, it's almost a reaction and you have to do it. But to me, that's you absolutely can't hammer the player at this point you have to prove something before you have to prove somebody has bitten somebody before you can actually come down like a ton of bricks on them but equally i don't think you can make the assumption that mickey burke necessarily stuck his finger in ogara's mouth or in a player's mouth because that wasn't cl- too clear from the evidence either so i think it's really you don't want to sit on, fe- on the fence on issues but in ways you have to before you have the full evidence of something that's happened here it seemed to be a bit that whole conversation seemed to just sweep it away a little bit too quickly for my liking. I think if these things have been alleged, they have to be investigated, and if the evidence isn't enough or if it hasn't happened, then fine, then you move, move it along. But if Mead feel they have a case especially because now that they put it into the public domain, they, it's almost as an onus on them to follow it up. And uh, we'll just wait and see what happens with that. But Murph, I think there is a bit of confusion about the fixtures and precisely who's playing whom. I've mentioned a, a couple of the ones that could come up here, but maybe if you just clear it up for us.
5: Okay, well, there's uh, the, it, we're down to the last 12, and there's qualifiers next weekend, Cork against Sligo, goal against Tipperary. Then there's qualifiers the following week on the Saturday, Meath against Hermann and Monaghan against Kildare. And then Sunday the 3rd of August, the 1st of the quarterfinals are on, Kerry can play Sligo or Tipperary or Galway in the 1st of the quarterfinals. Mayo can play Sligo or Tipperary or Cork. So basically Kerry can't play against Cork, Mayo can't play against Galway. Other than that, uh, all those games can happen. And then uh, there are two more qualifiers. Saturday the 9th of August, Dublin can play Monaghan or Kildare or Armagh. Donegal can play Kildare or Meath or Armagh. So I think it was presented very much as a fait accompli on the Sunday game last night. It's... It's not quite as clear-cut as all, as all of that. The semi-finals uh, go by province, so it's Kerry or whoever they play against Mayo and whoever they play in their quarter-final, and then it's Dublin or Donegal uh, in the all Ireland semi-final as long as they keep winning. All right. So that's, 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 that's as easy as I can make it sound.
2: We're going back to the golf now. We're joined by Lawrence Donnick, an author of Four Iron and the Soul, and Philip Reid, who's reporting from the from Hoylake for the Irish Times. Philip, a lot of publicity around his father's bet, which I think has been settled today. Certainly, it looked like it was going to be. And the the cash himself and his mates are winning on Rory McIlroy getting a, US, a British Open under his belt by the time he's 26 years, years of age. But it looked like his mum maybe stole the show a little bit yesterday.
0: Well, she did, yes. Uh, it was the first uh, major that she's actually uh, managed to be there on ground, so to speak. And uh, as Rory said, uh, when he got to the 18th and he saw his mother bawling, he struggled to keep his own tears in, which shows uh, an emotion to the side, uh, to his side, I suppose. You know, it's uh, not always all about golf all the time.
2: Yeah, and he said afterwards, I uh, saw you quoting him, saying that I've really found my passion for golf again. So while he, while the uh, the big thing about him all week was his inner calm and all that kind of thing, it seems like he's really, uh, I, I don't know if he ever sa- admitted to fully losing that passion, but he certainly had it this week.
0: Well, I think it goes back to Wentworth. He so started talking about uh, regaining um, the passion back uh, that was after the split with Caroline Mosniacki. And uh, to be honest, what he, what he did in Wentworth, going out and winning when everyone thought that he was only really there just for just show almost and to take a commitment that he gave to the European Tour to play in Wentworth, uh, to go out and win that week. And on on the Sunday evening at Wentworth, Wentworth he started talking about having sort of regained that love for golf that uh, had seemed to disappear in the last 18 months or so. But to follow up by winning uh, the carrot joke. Uh, last um, last High Lake just confirms that golf really is the focus the number one thing in his life at the moment
2: Lawrence how big an achievement is this particularly winning the Open it's a tournament that has caused him a bit of grief in previous years and remember it was 2011 when he said afterwards that look I'm not going to change my style of play for one week in a year which was seen as blasphemy almost from people in this part of the world but he's got the job done now in the British Open Uh,
4: yeah, well, he changed his tune last week, didn't he? He saying, I love playing Lynx golf. That kind of made me laugh. I, 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 these guys have to say these things to themselves, haven't they? Um, but it really is. Because if you actually look at McIlroy, if you looked to the four majors and thought, right, which one uh, is he well suited for? Well, the one he should really win is the Masters. I mean, it's perfect for the way he plays golf, high ball flight, you know, a little, uh, little right to left. You know, it's just... You know, that's that's his one. You could probably put the open at, uh, the open as the last one he would win because he's not really a particularly fantastic. Well, he's won the open, so he's obviously a fantastic win player. But you know, it's a, probably the one that is least least to so for so for him to win it and to win it so well is. I mean, it's just a fantastic achievement. But it just goes to show that he, you know, basically, essentially, he can. You know, if he's in the mood, he can. Basically win any
2: tournament he wants to win. He's already talked about the pressure he'll be under at the Masters and the the hype I think is what he talked about, even before the final round at the weekend, Lawrence. the mm. Potter Carrington talked about this before this year's Masters he was asked who's going to win he said that look McElroy, if he brings his B game to Augusta could potentially win the tournament and if he brings his A game he'll lap the field it's almost it's it's intriguing that this is the one now that we're waiting for him to win and we have to wait till next April but as you alluded to there this is the one that he's almost born to win
4: well, he should have won. Listen, before we get any further, I mean, can we have a tip of the hat to to Harrington, who back in 2007, when he won the Open, said, uh, Rory won the silver medal as a leading amateur. He said, you know, this guy could win more majors than, than, uh, than, uh, Tiger, uh, or, and Jack. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, everybody laughed at Harrington then. I mean, who's laughing now? I mean, he probably still won't get anywhere near Tiger or Jack, but, um you know, he's, he's, he's looking like some player. Um, but yeah, uh, um, you know, just, there's, just started, there's just something about these guys who, who separate themselves, isn't there? I mean, self-belief. I mean, there's obviously the talent there, but what Rory has never lacked is, is self-belief. And when he kind of concentrates and he's focused, you know, he is, he's, un, he's unbeatable. I mean, look at Dustin Johnson again. I mean, you know, he's paired with Dustin Johnson on Saturday. You know, and Johnson's, Johnson shoots 65 on Friday. I mean, this guy is probably the best, most talented of the Americans. And Rory just plays him off the park. Uh, you know, and if that—if you think that Dustin Johnson is the best in America, and he you I mean, looked like a, you know a third of the golfer the McIlroy looked on Saturday. That's how good McElroy is.
2: Philip, he managed to stay focused even while being heckled for most of the round by that guy who he had kicked out. Can you tell us what happened there?
0: Well, there was an extraordinary, it was an extraordinary—it was an extraordinary incident. Uh, you know, it—it it really only came to life when you know enough was enough. Uh, apparently the spectator, to use a word, uh, coughed on his downswing. And uh, I think everyone saw, you know, uh, McIlroy, he said afterwards that he knew exactly who he was and who he was pointing at and that the guy had been at him all the way through. So uh, I I don't know who he is yet. But just uh, going back to your earlier point about the the hype, um, there's no one better, you know, at building up the hype himself than, than Rory and I'd imagine that he's actually going to revel in going to Augusta with all the hype of the chasing a the career Grand Slam he seems to rise to the the occasion when the, when he is the focus you know and he's very good at accepting that that sort of pressure and uh, actually using it as a positive like I remember when Porter Carrington went back to Augusta and he was chasing the, the Paddy Slam and like it you know it just sort of uh, dwindled away like it, it didn't was never really a factor, you know, from the time he uh, had a dropped early shots in this in his first round. Whereas with Rory going to Augusta, as Lawrence was saying, like it's it is a course that is made for his game. And like virtually everyone after we were finishing yesterday and we were talking in the mix zone, you know, like they were pointing, well, Augusta is the is the place where you would expect Rory to win at some stage in his career.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting, Philip. Because the, when you think of you mentioned Harrington there, Brian O'Driscoll, Henry Shefflin, we think of the top Irish sports people. Generally, there's a um, I'm not saying Rory's not humble, but there's a sense that these guys don't want to talk themselves up too much. That they just go about their business. But you feel maybe it's a little bit different. Rory he's happy to happy to tell the to take the pressure on himself in that way in that public manner.
0: Well, he is, and like even going back to the the Yaki, uh split at Wentworth, it was Rory himself uh, who who released the statement on that morning, uh, that Wednesday morning before the championship. You know, like no one else was aware of this split. It wasn't out in the public domain. He was the one that raised it and uh, basically dealt with it and then moved on. You know, which is, is says an awful lot for uh, the mindset that he has. That. Uh, he can just put that focus away and then just almost embrace golf again.
2: Is he starting to build an aura, Lawrence, around himself? That word that's always associated with Tiger Woods.
4: No, yeah, well, I think. Well, not yet. Well, no, yet. Yeah, I don't think he ever will. You know, there is. I mean, Tiger. Tiger was stung really badly. Uh, you know, if you look back in the career of Tiger Woods, he was stung really. He did an interview with, I think it was American GQ, and he told some off-color jokes. And he subsequently appeared in print, and that that was the end of it for Tiger. You know, he, you know, he was always a kind of reserved and cool and slightly detached guy. There is, I mean, Rory. Obviously, there's a distance now because he's a, you know, he's a he's sort of a sporting superstar. But there is, you know, he's still an approachable kind of person. You know, in, in every in in every kind of sense, I mean, he's still pretty good with the press, I believe. And he, he you know, he's just a slightly more attached figure. So he's not, got, you know, he's not. He, you know, he's still kind of one of us, if you see what I mean. He's not, you know, he has, he, I'm kind of slightly confused, here. but yes, he he's still much of a much more grounded figure than Tiger ever was. I think. I think he's more in the more in the Mickelson. He's, he's more in the Mickelson mould as a golfer, and I think he's more in the Mickelson mould as a as a. As a person,
2: well, the or- aura. That's, that's yeah. and the aura I'm talking about there. I, I did mean more on course in the sense that, oh, yes. uh, is he getting to a point now where right he goes out, he he's yes. a couple ahead going to the final day, and he he almost has it won because the well, opponents start to fear him a little bit.
4: Well, look at look at Dustin Johnson by the end of Saturday. I mean, he was just a bedraggled figure. You know, he was. <laughs> McIlroy Bogey's the first Johnson Birdies it. you know, here, here he goes here we go and you know six, 17 holes later he's lying in a pool of blood you know, he's he's done um, yeah, because everybody can see it you just have to walk down the driving range and, and watch, the, watch the guys hitting golf balls or listen to the guys hitting golf balls there's just a different sound to say that you know, to the really great players there's a different sound to the ball coming off the club face McIlroy is a Use the, the commonly or the beloved phrase of professional golfer. He's a flusher, a, a, a you know flusher par excellence. He's just better than everybody else. The only thing where you would say, you know, quotes and quotes, mortal is he's he's not a fantastic putter. I mean, if he could putt like Tiger in his prime, my God, because Rory, I mean, Tiger has never driven the ball the way that that Rory d- drives the ball. You know, um, but if if he could if he could putt as well as Tiger putted in his in his prime. Uh, well, my goodness, he would be—he'd be winning twenty-five majors.
2: Philip, a lot of golfers do get stuck uh, in and around three majors. Harrington is well, stuck is probably an unfair word. It's a hell of an achievement, but he is only twenty-five now, and people are already talking about Nicholas and all these numbers, which we won't know about for a number of years. But do you think that he? Uh, would you agree that he has? made the path a little bit easier for himself now by striking out so much at such a young age that he's the guy now that will be feared. He wants to be that person. He said it yesterday again. He wants to be the guy who dominates the game.
0: Well, he is the one putting his hand up to do that. And, you know, hi- history speaks for itself. Only uh, Jack Nicholas and uh, Tycho Woods in the modern era since the Masters came on board as the uh, Grand Slams in 1934. Oh, they're the only two players that have got to... Uh, the, Three major wins as quickly as uh, McIlroy has. Um, what what is probably different is I think there is a tremendous depth, you know, in in the game, and when other guys learn how to win majors, it's it's not going to be just sort of a five man uh, fight every time we going into a championship. I think the depth is there that you know, thirty or forty players that can potentially win majors these days each time. But funny enough, um, you know, Lawrence was making the point earlier about the Open Championship being the one that uh, was going to be the hardest for Rory to win. He's, he's going to St Andrews next year as the defending champion, and it is probably his most favourite golf course in the world. And it is one that you know it's going to suit him. He he was he led driving distance in highlight this week, and it, it's going to suit his game down to a tee. You know, as we only have to go back to when he turned pro in two thousand and seven, it was. An invite into the Dunhill Links, was um, one of those golf courses where he snatched his card almost straight away, and it was second or his third pro event.
2: All right, well, we'll give him a free pass at the US PGA, but the next year we're guaranteeing him a British Open and a US Masters, and maybe right. maybe one more, three out of four next year. Listen, guys, great, So, Philip Reed, Lawrence Donegan, thank you, thank you both. All right. Whatever about Rory bringing the pressure on himself? That. uh, was interesting we were reminded there of Potter Harrington so many years ago saying oh yeah this kid is going to win more majors than uh, than Nicholas than than uh, than Tiger Woods and these kind of guys that's quite a lot of pressure to be heaped upon a young player but he does certainly seem to enjoy it Rory he yeah. enjoyed it this weekend anyway
5: yeah and I think um, I think whatever about aiming at Jack Nicholas, like if he can win 10 majors what an amazing career that would be I think like I think 10 majors is a is an achievable goal for Rory McIlroy. See,
2: I would have said that. Even after his first two, I would have thought, yeah, let's just relax here a little bit. But the fact that he's won the British Open, I mean, there's there's a bunch of Masters waiting there.
5: for him. There, there, there are six,
2: six to eight Masters waiting <laughs> six, to be <one>. won. <laughs>
5: six to eight US Masters. He'll pick, he'll pick, I, he'll pick I think off, oh, that's, a yeah, little, that's a little... He'll pick off a couple of
2: US Opens. He'll pick off a US PGA here and there. And then you're up to 12-13. Mm. And you just kind of make sure to... Be strong at the British Open, and it's job done. Hmm. Nineteen to twenty majors for the way the guys are talking
5: about St Andrews. There, I mean, a lot of people do say this about St Andrews. Well, you know, I mean, all you have, I mean, the fairways are so wide; they're all, you know, doesn't matter where you direct it. If you can hit it three hundred and fifty yards in basically any direction, then you're going to do well at St Andrews. It does appear to be a little more difficult than that. Well, it's
2: weather dependent. It's the stereotypical course where if the weather is Calm, it's just way too easy, and mm. if it's tough, it, it's tough. But I do remember, Murph, I haven't, haven't played a computer game in a while, I'm not gonna lie to you, but uh, I played a bit of Tiger Woods golf, yeah, in my time. And St. Andrews was really easy, you could, you could pretty much, I mean, you're looking at low 60, 61, 62 there. Mm. If you're Tiger, even if you, if you use Annika Sorenstam, can't hit it quite as far in yeah. that game, you're still liable for you know 64, 65. Yeah. Was there a game based around
5: Soulgrass TPC, Soulgrass? Soul yeah, oh man. It was on PC. I'd, see, I didn't have a games console growing up on, mm-hmm. but I did have. There was a PC in the house, so we would have played quite a bit of um, uh, Doom, uh, Wolfenstein 3D, of course, great game. Wolfenstein. Uh, sensible Soccer, obviously the king of all soccer games. Mm-hmm. There has many soccer game to no. come close, but there was also a golf game, and I seem to recall that Sawgrass was in the title.
2: Yeah, I think I might have played the same game, Murph. But maybe and it's, I was. Uh... I
5: was really, really excellent at it. I mean, I was, you know. Brother John was good at Doom. You know, there's the multiplayer option Did there. Did you even well have a joystick way. or are you playing off the space Playing bar? on the keyboard. Playing on the keyboard. So
2: you're aiming at and then space bar is presumably to hit. Space so bar. Hit. Play, I would imagine you press space bar once for the backswing and then yeah, once, once, once on again at the top yeah. of the backswing. And you're supposed to
5: hit it. You know, there's like a line where you click on it and <laughs> yeah, then you click yeah. on it again. I mean, my timing there, was just... Summers, it was a thing yeah. of beauty. I mean, I would say that mine was one of the truly great computer-generated golf swings. I mean, you know the other way they talk about Ben Hogan? mm that's basically me for a computer console. That's how, that's how sweet my, my swing was.
2: So far on this program, f- and I say so far, we're wrapping it up, thankfully. We've yeah. talked about computer games...
5: We've talked. Games.
2: A, we've talked about uh, photographs. Yeah, and it's scintillating stuff. It, it just transfers so seamlessly. Who Who would have thought? To I, w- I know. I know. The podcast environment.
5: It, it's just another uh, area where podcasts really committed their own photograph and computer game descriptions.
2: Irish Times Second Captains football podcast coming up a little bit later on. Uh, do get in touch with us in the meantime. Second Captains at irishtimes.com. dot com. You can follow us on Twitter at SecondCaptains. Facebook dot com forward slash Second Captains. I'll try to stop naming the name of our show at some point. Uh, now, we're going to chat a little bit later on in that football show about Dunga, who's likely to return as Brazil manager. <laughs> they they weren't grimmed out enough by Scolari's approach to football, so they're bringing Dunga back, the um, the symbol of, of dourness in Brazilian football as a man who's going to take off. But they certainly won't lose 7-1 with him in charge, actually. I would say that, but they probably won't win many 7-1 either. We'll see if that's enough for the Brazilian public. Thank you very much, Murph. Thank you, Thanks very much for listening, and we will talk to you later on. Take care. That's the second time it's done off. They
1: never go home, they never go home, they never go home those 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 boys.